What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. When I was a young girl, reading was a pretty linear process. No matter if it was a newspaper, a magazine, or a book I was reading, the text flowed from left to right and my eyes had to follow. Then years down the road, the internet came along, and as an adult, I had to engage with a new, non-linear way of reading. An important part of the reading and writing process in our technology-driven age is the invention and inclusion of hyperlinks. These links allow text to be connected together in dynamic and interesting ways, and they also make reading a much less linear process. You can jump from text to text in endless and expanding circles that may or may not give you insight into what you were originally expecting. Additionally, these links can also expand into different formats. They need not link only to text. They could also link to video or images or any number of frames for conveying information. The ability to hyperlink texts makes reading and the process of thinking about texts a lot more complex. We have to read and think in new ways about the information we're encountering. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying here that linear reading is any better or worse than reading texts that are hyperlinked. Each form is really not good or bad. It's just different. I know some professionals who bemoan the fact that hyperlinked reading has made our students bad readers, who can't sustain attention over long texts, or who can't find meaning in texts because they're jumping all over the place. It's clear that these are some of the challenges with reading in a hyperlinked world, but that does not make it bad, just something we have to understand and use to its advantage. So to start, we have to help even our youngest children understand what hyperlinks are and help them to understand that blue and underline means going to a new place. As readers develop, we need to help them understand how reading in this environment can be scattered. And to make meaning, we may have to approach texts and our experiences differently. And ultimately, we need to help our children understand how they might write hyperlinked texts to convey their own meaning and understanding of the world. Because here at Rachel's World, we believe that technology is just a new way to expand our children's literacies. Reading and writing go hand in hand. Practicing one improves the other. Today on Worlds Awaiting, Steve Graham, a professor at Arizona State University's Teacher College, talks with Rachel about how parents can help their children become better writers. He also emphasizes that writing is a powerful tool that helps them acquire info at school and better equips them for future jobs. For over 30 years, Graham has been researching how to teach young people to write effectively and how writing can be used to support reading and learning. He's author of numerous reports and books on writing instruction, including Powerful Writing Strategies for All Students. Here's Rachel and Steve Graham. We're on the phone today with Steve Graham. Welcome, Steve. Hi. Uh, Thank you. Steve, I am very interested in hearing what you have to tell our listening audience today, because one of your areas of expertise is helping our children really connect and become better writers. So to start out today, can you tell us what is it about writing that you think is so important for kids? Well, one of the reasons why it's so important for kids to write well is that it's a really powerful tool for learning. Uh, 
when we write about things that we read about, when we write about things presented in class, it increases our ability to understand them, to think about them, and to remember them. So just in that sense, from a learning sense, writing's a critical tool for helping kids acquire the information they need to be successful in school. Now, that's not the only reason, though. We use writing to persuade, to tell stories, to explore who we are, to share information with one another. In addition, when we move outside of school, 90% of employers now say, for white-collar jobs, that they use writing to make decisions about who to hire and who to promote. And 80% of blue-collar workers now say they write on the job. So writing is everywhere. It's obviously everywhere when you look at kids today because they're constantly texting, tweeting, um, posting on um, Facebook and other social media. Steve, I love that connection that you make towards writing and our learning ability. I think sometimes when we look at writing, we don't often think of it that way. Sometimes we think of reading as teaching us and helping us to learn, but we don't often make that connection to writing. Would you address some of those topics of how does reading help our writing? So when you read information, when you read something that's written, you gain information that, that is helpful for you as a writer. So think about uh, when you're reading a text and an author uses a really interesting word. That may often cause you to stop and think about the word that's being used. Or you might recognize that they're using a particular text structure that you might be able to use when you write something. Or there's a cliffhanger and a mystery that you're reading. And then if you think about writing a mystery, that may serve a clue as to something that you might want to do uh, in the mystery that you write. Same thing with red herrings or clues. They may show up in your mystery as well. And your initial point for encountering them is reading. Perhaps even more importantly, in many ways, is that the information that we write about, much of that is gained through reading. We acquire a ton of ideas, information about specific topics, just by reading material and um, thinking about it. Uh, the vocabulary that we acquire, while much of it is acquired through talking and speaking with others, even more may be acquired through reading. So almost any level that you look at, whether we're talking about uh, knowledge of words, uh, knowledge of spelling, because we pick up new spellings as we read, knowledge of how text is put together, and knowledge of ideas that we can use in our own writing, they can all come through reading. That's such a marvelous way to look at it because they really do interact and connect in really important ways. I think particularly as parents or other concerned adults, as we look at our children, I think often we know how to help them to be better readers or to encourage them to be better readers, but we don't often know how to encourage them to be better writers. So is there a way that we can take this connection between reading and writing or other ways that we can do as parents or concerned adults to, to help bolster these wonderful benefits that writing has for our children? Well, I think that's a really good question. And I think sometimes we miss this connection when we're reading to our own kids. So one of the things that's really important to point out is that when you're reading with, with your child, whether you're reading to them, you're reading together, or they're reading to you, we want to look for ways of helping them understand 
what authors do as they write. So discussion is particularly critical, but it needs to be targeted to things that kids might find to be interesting. Even more so, that discussion alone probably isn't enough. What we want to do is we then want to encourage our kids, maybe in conjunction with us, maybe on their own, to try out some of the the techniques that they saw writers using. And then we want to be sure that we reinforce what they did. We want to make sure that they get the idea that trying this out in their own writing is a good idea. Steve, that's such a wonderful tip. I love that connection that we can make through discussion and helping these texts really show children the the patterns of writing that they can then emulate. I know especially with children and older children, a great majority of the writing that they do is actually school-based. And there are either some connections or disconnections sometimes between our understanding of what goes on with writing at home and then what goes on at school. So could you maybe recommend for us or talk to us a little bit about how parents can better make those homeschool connections? I think many parents will be surprised when they ask teachers about what's going on in terms of writing at school. After about third grade, we don't see a lot of writing instruction nationally, and we actually don't see a whole lot of writing going on all the way through high school. Most of the writing that occurs are filling in blanks on worksheets, single sentence or two sentence answers uh, to questions, making a list, and sometimes writing a paragraph. But what we typically think of as writing, where we're writing to persuade, we're writing to inform, we're writing a a narrative or a story that'll be entertaining to others and ourselves, we just don't see that much of it. So I think one of the most important things that parents can do in terms of meeting with their child's teacher at the first of the year is say, what's the plan? What kinds of things are my child going to learn to write? And how are you going to teach them? Be specific. Um, in the long run, what that does is it emphasizes uh, with, our, with teachers the importance that parents place on writing. It gives parents a better idea of what's going to be happening in the classroom, and it provides ways in which parents can make connections to that in terms of what they do at home. Those connections are so significant, and I think the more we can reinforce what's going on at school and school can reinforce what's going on at home, the so much better our children will be and do in this very important realm of writing. Steve, as we close up our conversation today, what would be one tip or maybe one or two tips that you would like to give parents out there that would help them to really grasp this whole helping my kid be a better writer? How can you help recommend to us some ways to help kids engage in writing in more deeply thoughtful ways? Well, I think one of the things is they need to see us as writers. So we need to write, we need to share with them what we're doing. Um, I have a good friend whose son is 35 right now. They're constantly sharing their writing back and forth with each other. It's really inspiring to watch these two. I think a second thing that's very important is we want to encourage our kids to bring their writing to us, to share it with us. But we want to be sure when we say something to them about their writing, we want to start on a positive note with affirmation. Sometimes they're coming to us for feedback as well. 
The point there that I think is particularly important is that we want to be very focused in the feedback that we give. It needs to be constructive and it needs not to be overwhelming. Too much feedback actually can work against us and work against our kids. So we want to pick two or three things that we think are particularly important to share. And we don't want to take ownership away from our child in terms of their writing. So often posing this in the form of questions about things like, well, what was it you were trying to do here? Or I didn't quite understand this part of the story. Can you tell me more? Uh, ends up creating a dialogue between us and our child around their writing instead of us saying, oh, you need to change this part. So the more collaborative, the more fun, and the more uh, constructive we can make that feedback, the better. Steve, those are some perfect recommendations. It really is easy to engage our children with writing and to help them get those marvelous benefits that we spoke of. Thank you so much for your time today, Steve, and helping us open the world of writing to our children. Uh, You're welcome, and thank you so much for uh, talking with me today. Writing expert Professor Steve Graham of Arizona State University sharing ways parents can help their children become better writers. Turning our attention now to Katherine Patterson, Newbery medal-winning author of Bridge to Terabithia. Patterson talks with Jessica Verzello of The World's Awaiting Team about her newest book, My Brigadista Year. This historical novel follows a young Cuban teenager as she volunteers for Fidel Castro's national literacy campaign and travels into the impoverished countryside to teach others how to read. Katherine Patterson has written more than 30 books and is a recipient of many of the highest accolades awarded in children's literature. Here's Jessica and Katherine Patterson. Hi, Katherine. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Um, It is such a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. I'm delighted to be here. I have a lot of friends at BYU, and so hello to all of you. (laughs) Well, we uh, reciprocate your love and are just so excited for your new book, um, My Brigadista Year, and really to celebrate all the wonderful accomplishments and, and awards and literature that you've put out into the world of literature. So, Thank you very much. You know, one thing that I've really noticed with your novels is this um, diversity, which I think is a huge call right now in children's publication to really represent the diverse experiences of characters and of people. What are your thoughts on, on this need for diversity in literature? The way we get to know other people is very often through books. Uh, I I remember as a child during World War II, I read a book about young people in the Soviet Union that were involved in sort of heroic deeds and fighting the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after the war, when we were all involved in the Cold War, it was very hard for me to hate the Soviet people because I'd made friends with them as a child through books. And if You know, I hear about a disaster in some part of the world. If I've read a book and come to love a character who who lives in that place and is of that uh, ethnicity, I I care because I, Mm -hmm. I have a friend in that place. And I think a lot of problems we have is because we haven't made friends across lines 
And uh, I think the need for diverse books and the emphasis that we have uh, right now on that is very important. And I was really shy about writing a book outside of my own culture and mm-hmm. and my own um, uh, ethnicity, but it, I just felt like it was a story that nobody was telling that needed to be told about these really brave young people who went uh, into the mountains uh, and to teach and who, as one of the young women said, I, I taught the campesinos how to read and write, and they taught me how to be a person. So they felt that they had gained more than they had given, really, in the end. Uh, so it was a wonderful thing that happened to those young people. And I've met and read and listened to interviews with strong women living still in Cuba who went through this experience and found it to be life-changing. And I wanted American children to know about that. Uh, we're, we're living through an age where people seem to care only for themselves or for their small group, and that's so sad, and it explains the terrible divisions we have in our country right now that we can't imagine the lives of other people and their deepest feelings and needs. Absolutely. So I, my sermon for the day. <laughs> <laughs> a, I, well, a beautiful and true sermon. I love what you said about um, crossing these lines and, and showing compassion for people who are different from us. Um, I was reading in the back of um, author's notes in the back of my Brigadista year that your perspective of that time period in Cuba was so different and that through your research, it really changed how did your experience and perspective at that time influence what you wrote about and what you decided to focus on in My Brigadista Year? You know, I think most of us have a really negative view about Fidel Castro and and what he's done as as the real really the dictator of Cuba. Mm-hmm. But we don't know the good things that he did for Cuba, because we really don't like to hear good things about our enemies. <laughs> we want them to be all bad. And right, it's we want easier our that way. To be all good. And, uh, you know, the literacy campaign, he felt that if Cuba was going to be a strong nation, that he needed to have a literate population. He also felt that if city people went to the country and lived with the country people, that they would have an appreciation for people that they would ordinarily despise and look down upon. And he wanted a a united nation as well as a strong, literate nation. And, of course, that's what happened when these kids went and lived in the country and worked alongside of the campesinos. They had an appreciation for them that um, they wouldn't have had otherwise. And, you know, one of my favorite quotations from a young woman who has a teenager took part in the campaign was I taught the campesinos how to read and write and they taught me how to be a person because it enlarged their lives in wonderful ways. Uh, We can't always make that physical uh, trip to another place, but we can uh, the next best thing I think is to read a book. Absolutely, and and I think you're completely right and and this book and, and really your 
um, the majority of your works, I feel, have that underlying message of really trying to understand someone who is different from you, who is experiencing something different, but that you're trying to find those connections and you're trying to grow and learn from each other. Obviously, in this time, there was this very strong literacy movement and and there are so, you know, there's so many other opportunities for modern readers to take this example and, and apply it in the real world. How would you say their um, readers can emulate Laura's example in, in fighting for modern issues? <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm one of these writers who believes that once the book is published, I don't have any right to tell anybody <laughs> how to read it or what lesson to learn from it that belongs to the reader alone. Uh, but, you know, I do have a sneaky hope that when a young person reads this book, they might think beyond themselves to what they might do for other people, not the immediate people who look like them and agree with them on everything, but for for the whole country or perhaps for the world, not to live a life of, of selfish greed, which is sort of what advertising t- tries to teach us and what a lot of our politics have been ab- about. It's my group, and I want everything that my group wants, and I don't care what your group wants because my group is the only important group. And it's, it's a huge challenge, but I think unless we we reach out in this way, there's not a whole lot of hope for <laughs> peace in the world or or even peace in our own country because we, you know, we've We've tried the divisions, and they haven't worked very well. Right, right. You'd think with all the uh, dystopian novels out there, we would try and get along a little bit better (laughs) rather than try to live our favorite movie, which usually doesn't turn out too well for the main characters. It doesn't. Indeed. (laughs) Um, Catherine, thank you so much for um, talking with us today. Well, thank you, Jessica. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Award-winning children's book author Katherine Patterson talks about her latest book, My Brigadista Year. We finish up the show today with children's book author David John Butler, who offers some tips for youth and adults who want to enter the world of writing. Here's the first one. Never call yourself an aspiring writer. The reason is this. When you start writing stories or books or poems, whatever, what you are really trying to get is the attention and time of a reader. It's not money. Money is a byproduct, and it may not happen. If they get your book from a library, there may be no money involved. What you are bidding for is a reader's time, and that's really the most precious thing they have. And... And there are, and you're bidding against the Avengers and Star Wars, uh, and and by the way, you know, publishing revolution has made it really easy to get published, and that's wonderful. It also means nothing goes out of print ever, which is wonderful for a reader, and it's hard for an author because you are competing against every author who ever wrote a book, and every day you're competing against more. So don't ever give anybody a reason to ignore you. Because they're looking for it. They don't, they don't mean to be looking for it. But when you say, I'm an aspiring writer, that's, that's equivalent to saying, I am not a writer. So one, never say that. Say, I'm a writer. And, then, and someone can ask, oh, what do you write? I'm working on my blah, blah, blah. I, I write horror. 
right? I, whatever. Uh, and they'll figure out whether you've got a novel finished yet or, or not in time. Don't, don't, don't trip yourself up. Uh, there's a lot of advice for writers out there. Uh, the, uh, let, let me, let me say this in an effort to say something that you haven't heard from every writer guest. Cause you, you hear some of the same stuff I bet. Like you got to write every day. You got to be a writer. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, look, writing has at least three parts. Uh, one is craft. And most of what you read, the advice for writers, most of what you read is craft. How do I go um, structure an outline? Uh, how do I know the difference between, how do I know whether the story I have in mind is for a young adult or middle reader? Right? These are craft questions. This is the easiest kind of question to find an answer to. It's the one most writers are able to talk to. The second thing, the second part of writing, uh, the one that almost no writers want to do, and all writers are really hoping that their publisher will do it for them, and it's almost certainly not going to happen, is selling. You have to sell your work. And there, there's, a, there's a sort of a, there's a skill side of that. There's learning how to succinctly describe your story in a way that makes people go, Ooh, I, I, yes, I will pay $12 for that. And fundamentally, writing a synopsis, elevator pitching, uh, writing a query letter, uh, those are all the same. It's a different word count. It's all, it's all the same skill. So, but it's also a, will, a willingness to tell people about your book, to take a copy of your book down to the pizzeria you regularly go to and say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I write books. Here's a copy for you guys, right? It's worth learning a little bit, at least a little bit about how business works. It's worth learning a little bit about how publishers work, how bookstores work, how they don't work, why they might or might not carry your book, how you can help them succeed in a way that also helps you get your book in front of more people. Because, look, success as a writer requires luck. It's a kind of luck that to have, to have it, to get that luck, you have to be out there working. But you're going to have to get it. Now, now, maybe you get a little bit of like Dave Butler luck you get picked up right or maybe you get really big luck like uh, Robert Jordan's dies and his widow picks you to to finish his series and you go from being a kind of low mid-list rising fantasy guy to the big guy right, right. Brandon Sanderson kind of luck or 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 whatever right you have you have to have to get luck but you have to be out there persisting uh, looking for ways to get your stories to market so so spend some time thinking about the business Thinking about business generally, the business of writing. How, how do I how do I put myself in a place where that luck can happen? And by the way, uh, this is hard and painful, and nobody likes it. Uh, and and also, by the way, the market is constantly changing. That's the way markets work. So sorry. The third thing is that writing is kind of a shamanic activity, where you uh, you leave your body and enter the world of spirits to go capture pieces you can assemble in a message that will bring healing to your tribe. And I think it is very, very easy to not think about that piece. So I would say if you're going to write, whatever it is that gives you spiritual and psychological depth, whatever the practices or the, the places or the literature or the singing that you need to do uh, to be in contact with meaning to find things that are that are deep and intrinsically human and eternal, don't neglect them. Because if you do, the risk is that your writing becomes a cardboard parody of itself that may be slick, it might be shaped the right way, and it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't mean anything. It's just three acts with a climax, and uh, it's all sound and fury. Um, but I think it's very important. So that's my advice. Author David John Butler, who writes children's books in the realm of speculative fiction. We love offering tips from authors to aspiring authors. Keep listening to Worlds Awaiting for more writing advice in the future. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.